Thank you. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It is two of you. Good morning. Hello. It is good to see you all. I am thankful that you're here. Thankful that you're with us. Uh, it is good to see uh, so many wonderful faces uh, back again. I know a lot's been happening in the life of our church. A lot's still uh, happening in the life of our church. Uh, we still uh, have some folks who are just reeling uh, from grief and heartache and uh, particularly want to pay attention and ask you to pray and join with us in praying for uh, one of our staff members, uh, Michelle, um, who is our nursery worker. If you don't know Michelle, she's awesome. Uh, she was actually uh, the one we baptized uh, outdoors, our first outdoor baptism out here. And she's one of our nursery workers. Please continue to remember her as her and her mom grieve the loss of uh, her father, a stepfather who is like a father to her. Um, but just uh, be in prayer for them as they walk through that uh, together. Well, I do want to let you know that we are uh, still in First Peter. Uh, man, I am encouraged already by uh, the singing this morning. I kind of you can kind of tell where we're going to be and what it is that we're going to be talking about this morning. But we are in First Peter chapter five. Now, I do want to let you know that we do have uh, two more weeks in First Peter. Uh, we have uh, this week, and then we'll close next week. And then what will happen from there is we will actually move from First Peter into Second Peter because that's what really. Uh, kind of makes the most sense for us, and we'll get more into that uh, as we talk about Second Peter. Now, again, uh, you will be gracious and happy to know that uh, I don't have much of a voice today. I don't know if you can hear it, um, and that's because I spent my entire day yesterday at a volleyball tournament, and uh, I didn't realize how loud a gym could be um, until I went to said tournament. And so because of that, being the encouraging parent, uh, trying to will uh, uh, one of my children on to victory and her team just to have a great day. Uh, overall, it was a great day. Uh, but with that, a lot of us parents lost voices. And so uh, that'll be a good thing. So if I don't get too loud today, praise the Lord um, uh, for his blessings. And so anyway, so just bear with me through that if I tend to get a little raspy as we get into this thing. But anyway, coming back to our text, uh, today we're going to be looking at Peter and what he says again to the elect exiles. And Peter is actually going to tackle a subject that many people in the church, our church, the modern church today, really struggle with understanding. And that is the word humility. I mean, just think about that for a moment, because here's a truth that we need to understand about the word humility. There is actually nothing harder to teach on or to write about than the subject of humility. In fact, this is one of the least written topics within Christianity because it almost seems uh, self-preserving, if you will, or, or almost self-defeating, especially if you're the one that is talking about humility, or better yet, if you're the one writing about humility. In fact, there's been several books that have been written recently about humility, some wonderful books uh, that I would encourage you to get your hands on, but I love these books because in the introduction, the authors readily admit that they are probably the last person that should be writing on the subject of humility. And so with the purpose of, of not sounding too uh, self-worthy, self-praiseworthy, they open their introductions by saying, listen, I am a flawed man writing to flawed individuals about a subject that I barely understand myself. And then what unfolds for uh, one of these books for the next six to eight chapters is just a wonderful word on humility. And so this morning, I'm going to attempt uh, to tackle this subject. But I want you to think about this for a moment, because imagine what you would think if you heard a message that started this way on humility. What if, what if I stood before you and said, good morning. Today, I'm going to talk to you about humility, which is one of my favorite subjects. And through this sermon this morning, I will show you how to be more humble 
because I am humble. So learn from me. Uh, exactly. No. Steve's like, and I'm out. Thank you, brother. Exactly. Literally, that's what I had in my notes. Steve will say no. No, I didn't have that, but I did have the word no there. I mean, really, if you were to hear a pastor say that, you would probably be like, sorry, brother, um, you've already lost me. We've not even gotten five minutes in this message. But here's the truth, and we need to think about this seriously, because very few people want to touch the subject of humility, and yet it's humility that's a subject that we are clearly called to practice as followers followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, when, when writing about humility and thinking on humility, it was William Carey, the prominent and pioneering missionary to India in 1793, who went to India with very little support, very little support financially, very little support from his local church, went with nothing more than his faith, and yet it was William Carey who tirelessly evangelized as many people as he possibly could. And it was also William Carey who, who translated the Bible either in whole or in part in more than 40 different dialects. And during his time in India, he literally wrote a letter home to his family saying these words, I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness, though on a review of my life, I find much, very much for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. You see, in our world today, to not acknowledge our good works, to not acknowledge our rewards and to focus on our need for more humility would seem odd. But herein lies the problem. You see, like a physical disease that can be treated but never cured, our pride is treated but never fully healed. You see, we live in a day and a time where pride is celebrated. We celebrate pride in all things, pride in work. Pride in the awards that we receive. As parents, we, we, we practice pride in, in elevating the accomplishments of our children and talking about how much greater our child is than the child that lives next door. We have pride in our degrees and how many letters we have on the other side of our name. We pride ourselves in the amount of stuff that we accumulate, the amount of wealth that we have. And we even, we even are, are proud of our political ideologies. And so it leads to the question, well, what is lacking in our society today? Well, the answer is this, humility. It's an awareness of our own shortcomings. Or better yet, as believers in Christ, it's an awareness of our own sin. So as we look at the text this morning, Peter is actually going to turn his attention to this very same problem amongst the elect exiles. And in a day and a time where pride was celebrated all around them, like what we see today, and what is often missed is the understanding of our own sin, Peter now looks to the body of believers, he looks to the church, and he says to them, humble yourselves. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me. We're going to begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. And I would ask, if you can and you're able, once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you would stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Peter writing to the church, writing to the elect exiles. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, Peter's message for the church and for us today is a message that is not something new for him, nor is it a new message for the church. In fact, if you read your Bible, you'll notice that throughout the Bible, we see a clear message that God brings low the proud, but yet it's God who exalts the humble. In fact, we, we read of this message when we go back and read the words of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We see them again as, as David writes, in Psalm 138. You go as far back as the book of Job, and in Job chapter 5, we see the same message, and it's also a message that is proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah from God once you even start Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 2. Now, you go from the Old Testament, and you look into the New Testament, and immediately we see that Jesus teaches the same thing in the Gospels. In fact, it's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 11, where Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So after calling the elders to shepherd the flock well, and then calling the church to, to know how to pray for their elders, and then calling the elders to, to learn how to lead the church faithfully, Peter now turns his attention to one last word on leadership and how the church should conduct themselves, and he gives us the simple phrase, humble yourselves. So the question that we have before us this morning is this, how are we called to humble ourselves as believers? Better yet, how as believers in Christ can we practice humbling ourselves, because that seems to be the question that we often get wrong. Well, Peter, this morning, through three verses, is going to give us four points on how we can now humble ourselves. And the first is this. We humble ourselves when we submit to leadership. Look again at the beginning of verse 5. You see, in picking up with the topic from our last text a week ago, Peter is now going to write, and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now notice that what happens in this passage is Peter literally shifts his focus here from the role of the elders to the flock to now the role of the flock back to the elders. Now Peter uses a really interesting phrase here, and he says, you who are younger. Now, in making this reference, Peter is not talking about generations here, but rather what he is talking about is he's talking about the whole church. Now, there are many scholars who have thought that this actually meant young men and young women should submit themselves to older men and older women, but that's not at all what Peter's talking about. In fact, we know this when we look in our Bibles and we see the word likewise, which was commonly used to tie one passage back to another. So Peter, in speaking of the younger, the younger uh, those who are younger being subject to the elders, he's still writing about the relationship that exists between a church's biblical elders and the flock that is now under their care. So here is good news for all of us today. Whether you are 2 or 82, Peter is saying to you, you are not old. You are still young. Steve Summercamp, you're a young man. 
Praise be to God. We can close the service now. I've just encouraged this brother. I mean, all of us as a church should take this compliment, unless, of course, your name is Paul Simpson and you're referred to as the elder elder. Okay? You are the old guy in the room. Love you, brother. But thankful for you. Now, coming back to the text, literally Peter calls the church to submit to its leadership. Why? Because too often times in the church, like what Peter and the exiles were dealing with, so too do we deal with today. As a church, what we like to do is this. We like to pick and choose the style and the direction for our leader. Now, let me unpack what I'm talking about. You see, too often we leave churches because we don't like specific things about the leader. We don't like how the leader is dressed. We leave because we don't particularly care for that leader's preaching style. So we spend more time, even in our own churches, more time listening to our podcast pastors who we enjoy more than we do our local pastors. And therefore, we put more emphasis on what it is that our podcast pastors are teaching us more so than what our local pastors are teaching us within the church. Now, again, I recognize that this sounds a bit self-serving. But I don't see your podcast pastor showing up for you when things are going bad. I don't see our podcast pastors showing up for us when we need a pastor to pray with us. So let me say to you this morning, yes, listen to your podcast pastors. Be encouraged by what they teach us according to the word. Be encouraged by their faithfulness to the word of God, but never allow our podcast pastors to neglect our call to be a part of the local church and submitting ourselves to our local elders and our local pastors who live right here with us. You see, Peter understood, even in his own day, that many of the exiles were sitting in judgment over their leaders. Now again, this is not to say that if you have a, an elder or a leader who is in sin, that you should not hold them accountable to their sin. However, we should never sit in judgment over our leaders deciding what it is that we like about them and deciding what it is that we don't like about them. You see, we can't sit there and decide whether or not we will listen to our local leaders or whether or not we will choose to listen to someone else. I mean, here's, here's a question that we need to ask ourselves today. If we are not listening to our local leaders and our local elders, then are we truly following them? If we are not submitting ourselves to our leaders, then as Christians, as a part of the flock, have we truly bought in to the mission and the vision of the church that we say that we are now part of? Or are we simply here existing because it's what we're supposed to do. You see, Christian, God's word calls us to humble ourselves, which means as the flock of God, the people of God, we should submit ourselves to our leaders. We should submit ourselves to our elders. And the reality is we may not always agree. However, we should willingly submit ourselves to them and still be able to follow our leaders. You see, as we talked about last week, good leaders are loyal to the whole church. And as Peter is saying to us today, wise followers yield to the church and to her leaders, even when some of their decisions seem flawed. You see, that's 
the joy and the goodness of the gospel. It's that we can love that which is beautiful and at the same time love that which is ruined. I mean, think about that for a moment because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. When we met Christ, we were not beautiful. We were ruined. We were broken. We were dead to our sin. And so surely, if Jesus Christ can do this for us, then we can do the same for each other. This now leads to Peter's second point on how we should humble ourselves. He says, first, you should submit to your leaders. Secondly, he says, to submit to one another. Notice the second half of verse 5. It says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Notice what Peter's teaching here. He teaches that the church is a gathering of the humble. In other words, all of us who profess that we are believers in Christ, all of us know our value and we know our worth because that worth is found in who God says that we are. We were all sinners, dead to our sin, in need of a Savior. We are a a people who need to repent of our sin because we are a rebellious people. And yet at the same time, through Christ, we are restored because of what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. And so as Christians, all of us should have the same conviction that we trust in Jesus Christ who has restored us. It is here on this phrase that we can and should all agree. And if we agree with this phrase that Jesus Christ has restored us, then we should be willing to submit ourselves to one another. Now this means that as Christians, we cannot nor should not walk around thinking that we are better than other Christians. We cannot, nor should not, look around the room and say, well, thank God I'm not as bad as that person. We cannot, nor should not, say, well, they're in that situation because of their sin, and thank God I'm not in it with them. You see, we can't walk around thinking that we're better than others in the church. At the same time as Christians, we can't walk around thinking that we can do church better than the one that we are a part of. Now, why would Peter share this word to the exiles? Because in the text, he continues. He said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, notice what Peter does here. He actually repeats a common truth that we see throughout the Bible. And he says this because it is the nature of fallen humanity to be proud. It is the nature of fallen humanity to make ourselves the center of the universe. It is the nature of fallen humanity to trust and rely more on our own abilities and our own resources than to trust God with what it is that he has given to us. And so here's what we do in our pride. In our pride when we are struggling, in our pride when we are hurting, in our pride when we are, when we are frustrated and things aren't going well, we don't share that with other Christians. In our pride when we need help, we are so prideful that we won't even ask our brothers and sisters in Christ for help. 
I mean, could you imagine what that would be like in your own home? I mean, I think about that often in my house. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we've got, we've got two little ones in our house that love to take care of themselves. And they do a wonderful job at taking care of themselves. But I couldn't imagine what my life would be like if all of a sudden my little ones went to the pantry and they asked, Dad, can I have a snack? And I said, sure, if you can get it. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, my wife and I decided to put all the best snacks up high. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we do that for certain snacks. But what kind of parent would we be if we said, yes, you can have a snack? And they said, Dad, can I have this really good snack that's on the high shelf? And I said, yes, absolutely, you can have it. And then they said, but Dad, I can't reach it. And I said, well, too bad for you. I'm sorry God made you short. Thank God I'm not. That's pride. It's not caring for those who are around us. You see, in our own sin, it's our sin nature that says when we succeed, look at what I've done. Look at the title that I'm wearing over my shoulder. Look at how awesome I am. Yet at the same time, it's our sinful human nature. It's our pride that tells us when we fail. It's not my fault I failed. I didn't have enough resources. It's not my fault I failed. It's actually their fault. I mean, what could I have done? You see, if we are to be Christians who submit ourselves to one another, then the reality is our attitude should be like that of the New Testament church that we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, when it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning when we read Acts chapter 2, and by the way, I would just memorize verses 42 through 47 if you want to get a good idea of what the New Testament church looked like and what we should look like today. But the reality is when we get to Acts chapter 2 verse 44, does this verse describe who we are as believers in Christ today? But now let's get back to our text here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, the second half of verse 5. He says this phrase. He says to clothe yourselves. Now, in saying this, Peter was not thinking of removing a garment to replace it and put on a different one. But rather, he's thinking more in lines of adding to a garment that you already have on. So the best way uh, to read this is to read it in light of Peter saying to clothe yourselves. It's almost like putting an apron on what it is that God has already given you. You see, Peter is calling the church to add humility to what it is that you're doing. He calls the church to cover yourself in humility so that the sin of pride will not be able to stain what it is that has been given to you by Jesus Christ our Lord. So Christian, when we learn to submit to one another as we humble ourselves, it reveals that we are now laying aside our own pleasures, we're laying aside our own pride, and we are focused on caring for one another. A best way to, one of the best ways to self-examine whether or not we are submitting ourselves to one another is to answer this question. What is your motivation when it comes to serving? What is your motivation when it comes to, to getting to know other people? Are you, are, are you doing it because you want to make more of yourself? Are you serving in hopes that people will acknowledge your service? Or are you doing it because you see others 
the same way Christ sees them, which is they are created in part as the image of God. And therefore, I am called to serve them. You see, the answer to the question of our motivation will truly reveal more about our walk with humility. This leads to Peter's third point on how we can now humble ourselves. In verse 6, he teaches us this. He says, submit to God. Are you picking up on a theme right now? Notice that after calling the church to submit to leadership and then submit to one another, Peter now comes back to the one who has all authority. Notice the text in verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Notice that Peter does not say, the Lord will humble you. Rather, he says, humble yourselves. You see, this command teaches us that we don't wait for God. In this moment, we are not waiting on an enemy to attack us. In this moment, we are not waiting on the hardships of life to humble us. But rather, Peter says to the church, we must act on ourselves. In other words, when it comes to humility, there's no need to wait. Do it. Do it now, is what Peter says. Peter then tells us how. If you continue on with verse 6, he says, under the mighty hand of God, and then the second phrase, at the proper time. Notice what Peter is teaching us here this morning. It's the same thing that he taught the church in the elect exiles. He says that we humble ourselves by recognizing that God alone has all the power. We recognize that it's God alone who has all authority. We recognize that it's God alone who deserves all the glory for what it is that he has done. You see, as Christians today, do we recognize that the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is not something that we did on our own? It's what God did in our lives. Do we recognize that the homes that we have, the jobs that we have, the families that we have around us, this wasn't just something we did on our own. Rather, this was God in his provision. Do we recognize as Christians today that we have gathered in this place for worship, not because we rolled up on this building and thought it was awesome, not because we thought, man, that pastor is my favorite, not because, man, I just absolutely love our worship and I love our elders, and particularly our elder elder. No, we are here because it is God who has worked in our lives and has called us together. God did this. We didn't do it. I mean, I don't know of anybody who's walked in these doors and said, hey, pastor, I'm joining your church. Why? Because I love the carpet. I've never met that person. Never. We're here because of what God has done. We're here because of what God is doing. We are here because of what God will continue to do. You see, this is why we say solely Deo Gloria, for all glory to God alone. Because God is, is the one who deserves all glory. Because it's God who is the one who is working in all power. It is God who is the one who is sovereign. It is God who is the one who has created the universe. It is God who is working all things for our good. And so he is the one that we praise and worship. But at the same time, notice what else Peter says. When he says the phrase at the proper time, notice that Peter recognizes that all things happen at the proper appointed time established by God himself. 
So you see, as Christians today, we humble ourselves by submitting to God, who is the one who has all power, and at the same time, who acts in our lives according to his will and his perfect timing. You see, as Christians, when things go well, we should be able to say, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And at the same time, as Christians, when we're hurting, we should still be able to say, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. You see, this submission to God in humility is revealed in our lives by how we respond to hardships. If you want to know if you're submitting yourself to God in humility, it's revealed by how you respond to sorrows. Or, or better yet, maybe it's not a hardship or a sorrow. Maybe it's how we respond in the delays when things don't happen when we think they should happen. And so we have to ask ourselves in those moments, in the hardships, the sorrows, or the delays, what is our response? Do we grumble and accuse God saying, God, your timing is not perfect? Or do we trust him with what it is that he is doing? I mean, can you just imagine that for a moment? God who spoke the universe into existence, God who created all things, this this beautiful story that's laid out before us in Genesis. The same God who came in the form of man, Jesus Christ, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. We just read about that in Philippians chapter 2, who through that showed us the wonder and the power of the resurrection that has now allowed us to be reunited with him because of his love. That God is the God that we look at and say, God, your timing stinks. Who are we? Who are we when we grumble and complain and say, God, your timing's not perfect? Do we grumble? Do we grumble and accuse God? Or do we look and say, hey, this is hard, but praise God, I still trust him. In the moments of our greatest grief, where we don't understand why we're going through what it is we're going through, or or people that we love, we don't understand why they're going through what they're going through, can we even in those moments look and say, hey, praise God? Because even in the midst of my grief, he's real, and he's with us. In the midst of our delays, whatever the delay is, maybe it's a a delay on a job, maybe it's a delay on a vacation, maybe it's a delay on something we thought was going to happen because we try to make plans, plans are a good thing, but then sometimes things don't work out according to our plans. Maybe it's as simple as you made that left and all of a sudden here comes the train and now you're stuck for 20 minutes. Do we say, God, your timing is perfect and for that I will praise you. You see, Christian, we are called to submit ourselves to God, because God alone is all-powerful. God alone is the one who provides. It's God alone who sustains. His timing alone is perfect. So when we humble ourselves, we are acknowledging that God is in control of all things. We acknowledge that God is sovereign, that he has power over all things, and we trust him with what it is that he is doing, both in our celebrations as well as in our trials. So what is our response when life gets hard? What is our response when life gets delayed? Do we complain or do we trust? This leads to Peter's fourth and final point this morning, 
which is found in verse 7. Peter teaches us that we are called to humble ourselves by submitting our plans. Now, this last part of Peter's, this is the, the last part of Peter's plan for the church to humble yourselves takes us. Now, notice where we've gone. We've gone from submitting to leadership to then submitting to one another to then submitting to God, which, oh, by the way, now ties into finally submitting our plans before the Lord. Now, notice what it says in verse 7. Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, sadly, there are, the, the Bible itself is just filled with story after story after story of the church, the people of God, turning away from God and trusting in their own plan. We see this as, as far back, going back to Genesis and Exodus, and again in Judges, if you read Judges, and how things just continue to spiral out of control. The prophets prophesy of what happens when we take plans into our own hands. Even We see it even in the Gospels when people turn away from Jesus Christ and they follow after their own plans and their own will and their own desires. You see, what happens is in our own sin nature, we trust within our own plans and not the plan of God. So when Peter, coming to his text, calls the church to cast all your anxieties, he's literally saying this, it is good to plan, but place your plans in the hands of the Lord. That's why one of my favorite phrases that several of us share together is we'll talk about, hey, I hope I see you next week. And then we say this, Lord willing. Now we don't say that because we think it's fun. We say it because it's good to have a plan, but we acknowledge that that plan is only good if God allows it. You see, as Christians today, for whatever reason, in our own selfishness and our own pride, we will say of ourselves that we are seeking to do the will of the Lord as long as the will of the Lord matches our own plan. You see, in our own pride, we think that we have a great plan. And yet our plans, if created by ourselves, not acknowledging that God is the one who is in total control, will never live up to what it is that God has for us. Even Jesus Christ in the garden prayed this way. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. However, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Notice the example that was set for us by Jesus Christ, which was for people or the people of God to look to God and trust God with their plans in hopes that their plans would match his will. In fact, go back to the, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. One of the most often quoted and misunderstood texts in the Bible. Notice what happens here. While, while calling Israel deeper and deeper into a hard life of captivity, into a hard life of exile. I mean, just think about this for a moment. In the midst of this passage, verse 11 we read God saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Now let's just stop there. Notice what's happening to Israel. If you've not read Jeremiah chapter 29, you really should. In fact, if you've got Jeremiah 29, 11 memorized, you probably should just go ahead and memorize the whole chapter. Because pay attention to what's happening. Israel is in bondage. They are in exile. They are being ruled by a people that is not their own. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 29 that they are told by the prophet Jeremiah from God, build houses here because you're not leaving. In fact, plant gardens 
because this is where you're going to work. Oh, and by the way, just to show you that I'm solidifying this plan for you to be right here, allow your children to marry their children. This is your home. I mean, could you just imagine hearing that? Could you just imagine going, I just want to go back to the way things used to be. I just want to follow hard after God. I want to live with my people. I don't want to live in bondage to another person. I want my family to grow up in what it is that I used to know. And I want everything to just be perfect. And then all of a sudden to hear the prophet say, hey, I hear you, but here's the word of the Lord. He says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And then listen to what he says. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Can I just tell you something today, church? We don't know nor understand the bondage that the nation of Israel was in during the times of Jeremiah. We can read about it, but we will never fully understand. At this moment, tomorrow could change, but at this moment, we can never fully understand the bondage that the Israelite nation, the people of God, were experienced. We, as the people of God today, have not experienced that type of slavery. We, as the people of God today, have not experienced that type of bondage. We don't know. So imagine, if this is what God can say during exile, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, if this is what God can say to his people in exile, imagine what he can do within our own lives today. And now this leads to the question. In the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the frustration, in the midst of, of our own planning, we ask the question, why should I turn my life over to God? Why should I turn my plans over to God? Why should I trust God with my life? And then I'm going to tell you something. If there is a passage for you to memorize today, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on him. And then I would underline, highlight, all caps, red pen, whatever it is you do in your Bible or in your journal. Here's the answer that Peter gives on why you should turn your life and your plans over to God. Peter says, because he cares for you. That he is God. I mean, just think about that for a moment. The same God who created the heavens and the universe. The same God who sent his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to die the death that we deserved. That same God cares for us. If he is willing to submit himself to the cross, if he is willing to send his son to the cross so that we could be reunited with him as his people, then imagine what it is that God can do with our lives today. You see, God did not call us to worry. God did not call us to fear, but rather what God called us to is to trust in him with the plans of our lives. Man, I want to take you back two years ago. Because this is one of the, the, the greatest indictments that I saw on the church. I started hearing people say that all churches should be closed at the beginning of the pandemic. And churches had to make wise decisions. We were one of those churches. Was our decisions perfect? By no means. We were flawed men. We were flawed men. But we did our best to best serve our community. But here's what bothered me during that season. I started hearing people bring up church history. 
And they started bringing up how early in history we had this little pandemic called the Spanish flu. Maybe you heard that. Maybe you've heard of it. A lot of people that I encountered didn't even know we dealt with the Spanish flu until COVID hit. And literally people were talking about the Spanish flu like they had just dealt with it two days ago. I mean, I literally had somebody say to me, this is just like the Spanish flu. That was crazy. And I'm like, bro, that was like 1918. Give me a break. Like you weren't around then. Stop. They were in their 20s, by the way. Just let you know. And this is what people would say. They would say, hey, the church closed their doors then and people stayed in their homes. I want to tell you something. That's not true. The church did close their doors. That part is true. But do you know what they did? They submitted their plans to God. They submitted to God's authority. They submitted to the leaders of their church who then said to them, we are called to submit ourselves to one another. And so here's what we're going to do. Instead of gathering for worship in the comforts of our own churches, we're going to go out and serve our community, especially those who are sick and those who are dying. That's what they did. Same thing, go further back in history with the bubonic plague. We saw the same thing. Let me take us again to modern history. Today is 9-11. And again, I don't want to make a big deal about today. But today is a day of remembrance for our country. Many of us were alive and well, and we can remember where we were on that faithful day. I remember exactly where I was. I had just left a science class at the University of Georgia early. No idea why. We were just dismissed. And I got back to the BCM and I watched along with almost everybody in our country the events of 9-11 unfold on TV. And as dark and as hard as that day was, can I tell you what was so beautiful about the aftermath of that day? I saw Christians unite under the banner of prayer. I saw churches filled with people crying out to Jesus Christ. I saw Christians who had been praying for years and years and years, God, give us the opportunity to share the gospel. And all of a sudden, people were hurting and they were trying to make sense of what was going on and the gospel was being shared. I saw a nation come together. It didn't matter how you voted. It didn't matter who the president was. It didn't matter whether or not they were blue or red or orange or yellow or whatever. It didn't matter. People came together. All of a sudden, for for the weeks ahead, here's what happened. People didn't know what the next day would hold. And as Christians, we recognized what was going on. All of a sudden, we were casting our cares upon the Lord. Trusting Him with the plans of our life. Because in that moment, we were saying, listen, God cares for you. And God cares for me. And yet, here we are so many years later, and we've forgotten. And I'm not talking about forgetting what happened that day. I'm talking about the fact that we have forgotten that God cares for us. I'm talking about the fact that now, more than ever, Christians are dividing. Christians who were united on united fronts, even on social media, now all of a sudden they're fighting one another over social media, over silly things. And it's because... We forgot that God cared. And not only did we forget that he cared, we took control of our own plans and said, God, I no longer need you. You see, Christian, to humble yourself, to humble ourselves, we must be willing to submit our life, our plans, our worries, and our future to God. 
Why? Because God cares for us. If we can trust him for salvation, which we do, then surely we can trust him with the plans for our lives. And so i got to ask you today, do you trust God with your plan? Do you trust God with, with your desires? Or do you hold tightly to that which you should really let go? Christian, I want to remind you that God acts on his own timeline. It is God who acts by his own power, and that same God who acts by his own power and his own timeline is the same God who acts with care towards his people. So as his people, let's wait for the Lord. As his people, let's humble ourselves and stop making demands of our God. You see, it's too easy for us to, to fall into the trap of pride and to seek to take control of our own lives. That is, that is the desire that we are going to constantly fight for the rest of our lives. This is not something that's just going to go away overnight for us. The pride within ourselves, which is the root of our sin, is going to constantly be a struggle until the day the Lord comes or until the day that he calls us home. And so Peter, in knowing this struggle, says to the exiles, says to the church, humble yourselves. And then he tells the church how. He says, submit to your leadership. Submit to one another. Submit to God and submit your plans. You see, Peter understood that as Christians, they were not alone. They were still together. They were still a part of one community. As Christians today, we need to recognize that we are not alone. We are still together. We are still a part of one community. In fact, John Calvin, in one of his own sermons, said these words. He says, we ought the more to dwell on this thought that God cares for us in order first that we may have peace within and second that we may be humble and meek towards one another. You see, here is our opportunity to show the world what kindness and compassion and love and grace looks like. And it's seen when we as the church, individually and collectively, as God's people, hear the words of Peter given to him by God. And we learn to humble ourselves. Let's pray to that end.